awesome. Thanks to the team for leading us. Get all situated here. Yes, we're continuing on in our series on service. Just to recap, last week we talked about how this whole series is really founded on the fact that Jesus, when he came, he came to serve. In fact, we talked about how really we could say that the reason why we've been saved is because Jesus served, right? He served us in order to save us. And that just as he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, he calls us to be that, those kind of people. That we would say, you know, I didn't come into this situation, I didn't come into this place, I, I don't live here in the Crescent Valley, I, I'm not in my workplace or in my school so that others can serve me. In fact, I'm here to serve. And how that challenges us and, and changes our perspective. Last week we started off kind of at the foundation, that as people created in the image of God, God gave us a job, a role, a task within creation to be caregivers, to be servants of his creation. And, and that includes both the, the planet and people. And last week we kind of emphasized more on the planet side of things, caring for God's earth, caring for creation. And this week we dive more into what it looks like to care for people, what it means to serve others. I don't know about you, but for me, one of the biggest challenges when I think about serving others is that I get paralyzed by the sheer amount of need. I mean, when I look around the world, certainly at a, at a larger level, the complexity of what's going on, the fact that everyone, it seems, has an opinion about who has done what wrong or why this has happened or what's going on. And when I think about how to meet those needs, when I think about that individually, when I think about that as a church, I don't know about you, but I can get paralyzed. I can feel like, well, I'm not sure how to serve here. I don't really know what to do. And I end up either trying to figure out, is this a situation where I should serve? Is this something I should do? And, and I can get overwhelmed. Is anyone with me on that? Can you feel the same? Sometimes when you look around you, just in your own lives, family situations, or maybe in your workplace, maybe just here in our valley, just the complexity and the needs and, and, and what is exactly going on can, I don't know, shut us down. Well, but we know that Jesus isn't looking for us to make excuses as to reasons why we shouldn't serve. He's actually called us in to service. How do we do that? How do we overcome some of those challenges? How do we engage as his servants in the world that we're in? Today I'd like to do something a little different. I'd like us to look into the most famous story Jesus ever told. But I'd like us to walk through it together and then I'd like us to throw it open for some conversation this morning. We haven't done a, a question time, discussion time for quite a while. Um, we, we used to do that a lot. And let's be honest, when we do, do, dove into Revelation, there's probably a combo job of either feeling like there's way too much content to get through and I didn't really want to hear your questions. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, moment of honesty. Um, uh, fix this thing here. There we go. But here, this is a safe one today. We're going to go through this, the Good Samaritan. So, hey, we can, we can take questions. Uh, but no, seriously, I, I'd like to share with you some of the ways that I'm learning from the Good Samaritan story, ways that are, I'm being challenged to serve. But as we go through it, I want you to be attentive to how are you being challenged? Like, what is this story telling you? And how can we serve together? So uh, you might just have a question or a comment, or there might be something that really, really strikes you that you're learning today. Uh, so let's read the story together. It's on the insert in your bulletin, or you can read along in your Bibles. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and it is, of course, the story of the Good Samaritan. Here it goes. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, 
beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Each denarii would be worth about a day's wage. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, there's very few people who haven't heard the Good Samaritan story, right? I mean, people can have nothing to do with the Bible. Maybe you are completely fresh to this whole Jesus thing, and this book is a big mystery, but you have probably heard the story of the Good Samaritan, if for no other reason than you watched the last episode of Seinfeld. Anyone? Anyone? Come on. You're familiar with the Good Samaritan story, right? Everyone is, basically. Even if, even if they wouldn't know, you know, Abraham from Moses, from, from David, it doesn't matter. You've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. And for some of us, we know this story backwards and forwards. We've seen it on flannel graph. We've seen it on video. And we've seen it, uh, you know, illustrated in a variety of ways. We've seen contemporary expressions of it. We know this story. I do too. And yet, I can be honest, I found myself challenged in fresh ways this week when I explored this story. Surprising ways. Challenging, painful ways, let's be honest. Uh, so, I'd like us just to dive into it. And, and as uh, I'm going to set up a little bit of context here. But let's think, how does this story challenge us? A little bit of context. The Good Samaritan story, as we've said, is, as you've seen and you've heard, is part of a larger conversation that Jesus has with a legal expert. The question the man poses to Jesus is designed to, to test Jesus, but it was actually a regular question that, that Jewish rabbinic schools of thought would discuss and debate over. And he poses it to Jesus to get his response. Maybe he's expecting Jesus to answer in a poor way and they can set him up. We don't exactly know, but he posed it to Jesus to get his response. But Jesus only returns his first question with another question, right? Turns it back on him. The man answers his own question. Exactly as Jesus would have answered, and in fact, in other Gospels, exactly as Jesus answers it. He says the key to life is to love God and love other people. Love God and love your neighbor. But the man wants more. He wants to justify himself, the story says. What does that mean? That he wants to justify himself. When this man asks, who is my neighbor? What is he looking for? It's likely that just like the first question he asked, he already actually has an answer in mind that he's looking for, right? We've all had those kind of conversations with people. (laughs) Jesus had a fair few of those kinds of conversations. He already has his answer in mind. He either expected Jesus maybe at this point to turn the question back on him so that he could answer like the good little boy that he is, or he expects Jesus to answer properly or maybe answer in a way that they can, you know, take him to task over. Who is my neighbor? He has the answer that he thinks is right. It's likely that he's looking for the answer to be that my neighbor is another faithful Israelite. My neighbor is someone who's been faithfully following God, living the way he or she is supposed to live. And those are the people I'm supposed to to care for. In fact, there was quite a few extra uh, teachings around in that time that said exactly that. You care for the faithful. Other people, leave them in the ditch. And, and so he's probably looking for an answer that says, your neighbor is another faithful Israelite. So he could say, oh, well, I already do that. I've already got that nailed down. So kind of like the first one, it can be a little another pat on the back to make him look even better than he does. See how that works? But Jesus turns everything on its head. 
he tells a story where the hero is a person that they despise. The, the, the person that they're supposed to emulate and imitate is a person that they wouldn't be caught dead with. Literally. At the end of this story, Jesus redefines the whole question that's being asked. Instead of figuring out who the neighbor is, so that we then can show love or care to that person, Jesus challenges us to be the neighbor that people need. And you need to understand this because it's central to what Jesus is saying through this story. When we see someone in need, the question is not, is this a neighbor that I'm supposed to serve? That's the question he's asking. But that's not the question Jesus says we're supposed to ask. The question instead is, am I going to be a neighbor who serves? See the shift? The question of service doesn't come down to who the person is, whether or not they deserve it. I mean, how did they get in that place? In, in, you know, how did they get in, into that sticky situation in the first, first place? Are they really worthy of my attention? Worthy of my care? I mean, how, who do we even know? Uh, how do we even know the situation here? What's going on? That's not the question. The question of service actually comes down to who we are. Who Jesus has called us to be. Who he shaped us as his community to be. As his servants. How we are called to serve others' needs with the resources that he's given us. So again, the question is not, who is the neighbor who needs? The question is, will I be the neighbor needed? Do you see the difference there? Because this is what Jesus does at the end of this story. And it challenges how we read the whole thing. So how does this story challenge me? How does it encourage me? Jesus tells this story, and then at the very end, he does something kind of rare. He says, go and do what? Likewise. Very, very familiar, very famous statement. Go and do likewise. He actually calls us to imitate this man, to follow his example, to go out and do what this man does on the side of a Jericho road, to actually go out and do this in our workplace, to do this in our schools. He calls us to go and do it in our valley. It's, it, it really quite stands out because most of the parables, that's not how Jesus ends them. Here, he calls us to take this story as a guide, to ask and let this story teach us what it means to serve others. So let's share that together. I'm going to offer a few opening insights, things that have challenged me, and then I'm going to throw it open to discussion. Ethan's going to walk around with a handheld microphone, and I encourage you to... Be bold and to speak out. Maybe it's a question about the story uh, that you want clarified. Maybe it's something that's come up to you. Or maybe it's just a follow-up comment uh, to something I already said. Whatever it is, we'll share together how Jesus is challenging us through this story to be his servants. Okay, first thing. To be a neighbor who serves, I must be willing to change my plans. To be interrupted by the needs that people have. There we are. Interruption. Who likes to be interrupted? Especially when when you're in the middle of something. Does anyone like that? Anyone? Okay, yeah, sometimes if you're interrupted doing something you really hate. Like, oh, thank you for coming by. Let's go for coffee. Yeah, 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 I get that. But when you're doing something that's important, doing something you've already decided to do for that day, you've already set up your plans, we don't like to be interrupted. The first thing that stands out to me in this story is that this Samaritan, who's likely a wealthy traveler, a wealthy merchant, he likely has other animals trailing along behind him. Why do I say that? Because in the text it talks about him, the way he talks about him putting him on his own animal suggests that he actually put him on the animal he was riding. Suggests other animals. But this man, regardless, had places to be, things to do. He had things he was there to accomplish. And yet, when he sees this man unconscious, naked, possibly dead, all of his plans suddenly just change. All the things he had set up to do that weekend, everything was was different now. It's like he just let it all go. His own agenda to the side so he could respond to the needs of this man on the side of the road. The contrast is deliberately stark. Because Jesus sets it up so that there's already a priest who's walked by. 
And he shuffles past quickly on the other side of the road. There's already a Levite who's passed by as well. Both men with religious duty. Both men highly regarded in their society as people who follow the law, who are faithful. And yet, when they saw the need, they had more important things to do. They were probably afraid of being defiled, ceremonially unclean, because maybe the guy really is dead, but I don't want to come within four feet. That was the magic number. I don't want to come within four feet of him and then find out he's dead, and then I'm contempt. Then I can't go to church. You know? And so they don't even get close enough to find out if the guy's dead or not because they've got more important things to do. The contrast is stark. When the Samaritan comes along, he allows everything to be interrupted. I'm really challenged by that. And I know some of you are too. Because how many of you would like to even be interrupted in the middle of dinner? Anyone? Who likes to be interrupted in the middle of dinner? No one, right? Think of going on a long trip. Think of having a whole bunch of people with you. Think of having to suddenly change all your plans because there's someone who needs your help. I am super challenged by this. And it's one thing right out of the gate. If we're going to be the kind of servants that God has called us to be, we need to be willing to be interrupted. I hate that one. Second, to be a neighbor who serves, I need to get involved in messy and risky situations. Situations that would be easier to ignore, easier to walk past, but rather than avoiding, I need to step into something that could end poorly, you understand. All the commentators have always said, look, this guy has already been beaten up, right? On the side of the road. And yet this man gets off his donkey and gets down there to help. Who's to say that he wouldn't get into trouble? Who's to say that this guy isn't bait? Who's to say that worse things couldn't happen to him now that he's actually stopped? None of that. He doesn't know. He steps into what potentially could be a dangerous situation on a dangerous road. Instead of shuffling past at a clip-clop, he steps in to serve. Takes risk to himself. Well, I'm challenged by that. Asks me, where's my Jericho road? Where's yours? You know, those places that we go sometimes, the places that we see sometimes where it feels like this is a mess, I'm going to do my best to avoid it. That family situation, that neighborhood, those people that are always having coffee at your favorite spot right when you are. So you're changing your coffee time. Those guys, you know what I mean? What's the dangerous spot for you? It's probably not fear of getting beaten up for many of you. But places that we would rather avoid because they're just too messy. Places that we'd rather not step into because, yes, we're busy. And frankly, I don't know how this will end. It could end poorly. This guy challenges me. That if I want to be the kind of servant, if we want to be the kind of community that serves, we need to be the kind of people that don't just skirt past messy situations. We don't avoid risk. We step into it. Because that's where Jesus has called us to serve. Third thing, and then I'm going to throw it open for questions, comments. To be a neighbor who serves, we need to make God's resources available to meet others' needs. This man, when he stops, not only has he been interrupted, not only is he embracing potential risk, but he takes his oil used as a healing, the wine as a disinfectant. He puts this man on his own donkey. He takes him to an inn in Jericho, likely. He pays the bill, the equivalent of hundreds of dollars for us today, for this man he doesn't know, a man who probably didn't even revive along the way. He uses his resources to meet this man's need. But there's a crucial move here. Because you see, if we're followers of Jesus, I know some of us are, then our stuff isn't actually our stuff. Now those of you who have cho- not yet chosen to follow Jesus, take warning. Because when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, you're actually giving Jesus ownership of your life, which means 
When you log on to your online banking and you see that little number that's written there, it's not yours. When you drive in your car, it's not your car. That house you live in, I don't care if you built it with your two bare hands. It's not yours. Now, God has given you responsibility to steward that. But what we see again and again is that God says, will you use the resources I've given you, the resources that I ultimately own? Will you use my resources to meet needs? This is hugely challenging because we like to say, I know, I do. We like to say that this right here, we just covered it off. The rest is ours. That's what we like to say. We like to say, I worked hard for this. I deserve this. We don't know what that guy did. Maybe he squandered his life. Maybe he's been just a jerk. We don't know about her. Maybe she's not worthy of my money. Right? Tell me you've thought of this, because I have. What challenges me about this is this man makes his resources freely available, generously available to meet needs. And as followers of Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I will follow you, we are saying, Jesus, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is from you, and I make available for you to use. Jesus has called us into his mission. He's called us into service, which means everything he's given us, he has called us to use to mend and heal, to bind up and restore the broken in the world. Now, some of you who have not yet decided to follow Jesus, take this as a warning. It's still your stuff. (laughs) But once you cross that line and follow Jesus, you give it all up. And you let him use your resources, oh, his resources, to meet the needs and the brokenness in the world. Well, those are three things that really challenge me. Your turn. How are you challenged by this story? Maybe you have a question about the story. Maybe you have something you'd like to add to the three things I've already said. Or maybe you'd like to add a a new insight or a way that this story has challenged you. Let's open it up. Put up your hand so that Ethan can bring uh, a microphone to you. That way it makes it onto the recording. And also those who have a little bit of a harder time hearing can can hear uh, what you're saying. So... Open it up to you. How is the story challenging you? Joan. What about people who need help and you can help, but they don't want any help? Awesome. Thanks, Joan. Did everyone hear the question? What about people who need help and you can help, but they don't want to help? You know, the reality is, Joan, I mean, this is a particular situation where the guy was like unconscious and naked. He couldn't object to the help that was being given. Can I just point something out? He might have, if he'd been conscious. Do you know who was helping him, right? A guy he would, like, don't touch me, you dirty, filthy, right? So he he could have objected, but he was in a case where he was helpless. (laughs) He had to be helped. Um, That is a super challenge, Joan. I think we have to be sensitive to situations where a person is not ready for it, is not able to receive it. I mean, when I say help, I don't mean just simply go and enable and do the hurtful thing. I've learned that lesson too. But what I think Jesus is challenging us to do is ask the question, are we willing to be his hands and feet? Are we willing to be that neighbor that serves? But like Jesus who serves us, we have to be willing to receive that service too. So when when Jesus offers us the help that we need, we have to be willing to accept the help that he offers us. And I think that's true for all of us. And there's times in our lives where we know the people, our own kids, uh, family members, friends, where we we really do want to help, but they're not yet ready to receive what they need. And we need at that point, I think, to offer what we can offer, which is the grace of Jesus to say, hey, we understand sometimes these things take time. And we're going to stay present. We're going to keep listening. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep, uh, you know, loving them in the ways that we can. But we recognize that there's free choice in here and people have to be willing to also receive and, 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 and know that that's an important part of their journey as well. They have to come to a place where they really want that in order to experience the change that God has for them. Thanks, Joan. There's more to that. Any further comments, questions? 
Thoughts? Les? I'd just like to make a, a thing. I drove uh, as a businessman for years and truck driver for more years. And uh, lots of times you'd see some accident and no one stops, you know. Uh, so you talk about it later and you say, well, why didn't you stop? Well, I don't want a chance. The guy might sue me. So I don't see how that kind of thought can come in to a person's mind, okay? There's somebody in need, you fill it. And uh, I remember one time, uh, just out by Palmer Bar Creek, there was an accident, a very bad accident. And the, about 200 yards inside of the accident, everybody was stopped. And uh, I said, who's up there helping? Nobody. They phoned the emergency people, but no one would go. So I said to two guys, you come with me, we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Now, when you went up to that accident, you didn't think who was a, a Protestant or a Catholic or a good guy or a bad guy. You see, saw somebody in need. Yeah. And this is what I, I think that is the right way to do it. Yeah. Thank you, Les. Great modern-day illustration of how that can work out. Yeah, awesome. Other comments, thoughts? Things you're learning or ways that this story challenges you? Jerry. I was uh, just looking at uh, John 4. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. And uh, one of the comments or one of the verses says here that for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Could you tell us uh, what a Samaritan is like? Okay, what is a Samaritan? So basically a Samaritan was a half-breed. I hate to say it that way, but that's what they were. The people that were left in Israel when uh, most everybody was deported to Babylon, there were some folks left. They intermarried with others. And when uh, a lot of people returned from exile, they viewed them as kind of, uh, well, they viewed them as, as tainted, as, as mixed and, and so they had separated over generations and generations. They still followed the Old Testament, the first five books. They had kind of a different understanding of things. They still looked to the Messiah, which we see in John chapter 4. But there was a lot of animosity and, and hatred and mutual distrust between these two groups so that they avoided each other at all costs. And the example uh, that you read, Jerry, in John 4 shows us how Jesus was willing to overcome those racial and social barriers to show love to a very despised woman um, who on top of it was also a Samaritan as a, a, another great example. But we see that it was just a, a general climate of, 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 of mistrust, animosity, and it really is striking that Jesus did this a couple other times in his stories, but really striking that he would use their enemy as the example to emulate. Um, it, would have, it would have deeply shamed them that they had to, even at the end of the story, admit, oh, the Samaritan was the neighbor. You know, that would have just oh, graded them. But that's the conclusion of, of the story. Notice they didn't say the Samaritan. They say the one who had mercy on him. Uh, so, yeah, that was part of the cultural climate they were in. And part of what Jesus is doing here is, is pushing them, uh, pushing them, uh, but also uh, challenging some of their uh, racism as well. Any other questions, thoughts? Dave. How do you deal with it when you help somebody several times Mm -hmm. and they keep falling back into the same situation they were in? What's the best way to deal with that? Thanks, Dave. I recognize that, um, you know, we can misinterpret in, in ways that would say you just help and help and help and help, which we all know at a certain point is not helping anymore, right? It becomes unhelpful to the person for reasons maybe some that Joan raised of, of is this person really willing to help? Um, and so I think what we have to do is try to take the largest view possible, pull in other folks, maybe resources, and ask what will truly help this person. It, it may not be that, that thing uh, that I'm, I'm doing. I mean to stop what I'm doing to really help this person. And that can be very difficult, very complex. And it can be one of the things I think that shuts us down. Right? One of the things that stops us from serving. I think we need to act with wisdom through prayer and in community 
The mistakes I've made in the past are when I've acted outside of community based on just my own feeling of what I should do and, uh, and just keep helping because I'm supposed to help and end up not being very helpful to the person. But the shift, I think, is important at a heart level that it doesn't become, I'm ticked off with this person because they keep abusing my stuff or abusing my generosity or not, you know. That it reminds us that, oh, we've slipped into the wrong place here. Now I'm, I'm, I've no longer asked the question, what kind of neighbor do I need to be? I'm now trying to judge the worthiness of this person for my love or my help. And that's what I see in my own heart, the shift. When that shift happens, I have to go back to square one and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. The real question is, how do I serve this person best? How do I be the neighbor for this person? It may be that I can't do what I've been doing because that's not helpful. But it's, I'm not going to withdraw my help because I'm just ticked off that they're so, you know, entitled. Um, because I'm really entitled sometimes with God, aren't you? If God withdrew his grace from us every time that we took advantage of it, we'd all be screwed. Right? Did I just say that in church? Um, we have to acknowledge that. So it can't be that I've just, you know what, I've given you and I've given you and I've given you and now I'm ticked off and I don't want to ever see you again. The question has to be, what will actually best help this person? And sometimes it's, I'm not going to give them anything else financial. I'm not going to give any more resources. I'm going to stay in their lives. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to challenge them. I'm going to make myself available to them. But I realize that what I have been doing is hurtful and I've got to help them see, you know, I get all that complexity and we've got to walk with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of community to do that. But the question is never, you are no longer the neighbor I want to serve. <laughs> the question is, how can I continue to be the neighbor that Jesus has called us to be, to truly serve toward healing in this person's life. And it's that heart shift that we have to be attentive to. At least that's how I see it, Dave. Thoughts? Questions? Aaron. I always think of um, when I, I just like uh, the other fellow was talking about trucking, I was thinking, I was always going down many roads and you always see these hitchhikers. And so I was thinking, should I interrupt my trip to have uh, another person riding with me? So when I do that, I have another risk that I'm risking my well-being, my trip, and my safety. But then I'm also using God's resources that he's gave me that job. He gave me that truck. I'm also having a time to witness that person. Um, to add to that, uh, good, being a good Samaritan it does not always happen along the side of the road. It doesn't always happen right in front of you. It's like sometimes you have to see where it's coming from or find those people. And sometimes people mask it really well to say, you know, like, you don't know they need help until you really dig into what they're just going on in their real lives and get to know them. Thank you, Aaron. I love, I love what you just brought out there at the end. It's so easy for us to look at the person that is hungry or is in need of a job, or like those things. And those are real. No, not downplaying that at all. But it is so easy in our society for us to cover over true need, right? And to look at someone and think, well, they don't need a thing. See the car they drive? See the clothes they wear? See the big smile on their face? And miss the fact that they're deeply, deeply lonely in dark places, in desperate need of friendship. And to to actually have the Holy Spirit help us to see real need and to respond as he's called us to respond. That's that's super key. Uh, Time for one more. Any other comments? Berwin. Go ahead. Is it Jessica? Yeah, go ahead, Jessica. And then over to Going back to your previous statement about um, kind of uh, referring to the entitlement of somebody, your generosity and all that, if your mind slips into that, how would you get yourself out? Like, if it slips in really hard into yeah. a rut? You know, that's a really great question, Jessica. How do we move when, when we feel like we're being abused or we feel like this is entitlement? I mean, part of it is, I think there's multiple things going on. We need to be honest, like with ourselves, with how we're feeling. Honest maybe in community. I don't mean gossip around. I mean honest with someone. I think we need to be honest with the people that we're in relationship with. Be honest with how you're feeling about that. Um, I think there are times when we need to maybe repent because usually when I slip into entitlement, it's because I've begun to think of my stuff as my stuff and how dare you abuse it. 
I'll abuse it, thank you very much, but not you. <laughs> um, and so I think there is maybe heart repentance that's needed. But I think a lot of it comes back to being reminded, whose, whose life is this anyway? Whose stuff is this anyway? Uh, again, not, not just continuing to hurt someone with the help I'm giving, but actually saying, whose is this? What does grace look like? Being reminded of the cross, being reminded of who Jesus is and how he served us, being refreshed in the fact that ultimately God has called me to lay down my life for others in a way that will truly bring healing. And somehow, as we, I think as we pray for that, as we meditate on that, as we remind one another of that, I think we'll move toward that. But it, it can be a real uh, challenge, obviously. Berwin, one more from Berwin, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. There's a situation where all three come into play. Mm-hmm. You're driving down the road. You've got a destination. There is someone who wants to hit you right. So you've got to interrupt your trip. You might go by and say, gee, I should. here you are all alone. You're driving this good vehicle. God provided you. You know that. Then you think there's a risk. Mm-hmm. Is this person going to overcome me, going to steal my vehicle? Uh, or is there somebody else hiding in the ditch? When you stop, there'll be two, three others. And, uh, mm-hmm. But it's a chance you have to take. Or if it's, uh, if it's, a, if it's a lady there, well, it's even a bigger risk. Mm-hmm. And uh, God's resources, yeah, you're using. You've got a good vehicle. You're driving down the road. You've only got there's lots of room in your vehicle. I've run across that a lot of times, and and uh, I've picked up individual hitchhikers that very interesting people. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when you drop them off or you take them as far as they can, it makes you feel good. Yeah. And but those three things come in. Thanks, Robert. And I don't want anyone to leave you today and say, "I heard the church. I'm supposed to pick up hitchhikers. Doesn't matter what." <laughs> can I just look out and say? Obviously, most of you should not be picking up hitchhikers. Jesus would tell you that. But some of you should be. Dave? Oh, Dave Dave wants to say one more thing here. Ethan, can you run him the mic? Run him the mic, yeah. Well, Ethan will come. Who's back in... uh early 70s, I did pick up a hitchhiker. It was a couple. I drove from Hope to Trail. The next day, that individual was charged with trafficking in heroin, brought in an incredible stash of heroin to the town of Trail, was later charged with murder, was later charged with, and spent the rest of his life in jail. And as a probation officer, I was the laughing stock of the police force when I walked in and saw them being interrogated. I, I, I hear the comments about that, and I, and I, I raise that because yeah. I, I, I got a sense that you know sometimes we feel that we were obligated. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that in certain situations we shouldn't be giving help, but I do think that we have to be careful. And, it, and as I looked at this passage, I know we're talking about who is our neighbor, but the start of the passage is, what do I do to inherit eternal life? It says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. And so I think when we go back to that, I'm not giving this example to, to throw any uh, water on somebody's uh, plan. I'm just saying that is a reality. Absolutely uh, right. In that situation, you're not the judge jury. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that wisdom is needed. Following the lead of the Holy Spirit is needed. And so, um, but I do think the challenge is there to be willing to walk into situations that we would normally avoid, but we need to use wisdom. So do hear me affirm that, okay? A couple quick things as we finish. I'm going to add three more things really quickly that I learned from this. The fourth one I learned from this is that I need to be willing to serve without... This thing is... I'm, I'm really having a tough time with this thing. Here we go. Uh, duct tape, yes. I'm going to duct tape it right to my glasses. There we go. Can you hear me now? The fourth thing is I need to be willing to serve without being appreciated. 
or getting a return? That's a hard one. Sometimes we can catch ourselves serving because we like the kudos. We like the warm feeling. (laughs) Isn't that true? What struck me about this man is that likely the guy on the side of the road was unconscious for most of the time. This Samaritan served him with very little response, and he didn't seem to wait around to be thanked. Notice that? He just said, here's hundreds of dollars in our equivalency. I'll be back later to settle up. He pledges his, his, himself to cover the bill. He does this without looking for something in return, without looking for a pat on the back, without looking for a big smile. Wow, this challenges me. And I know it will challenge some of you. Because it makes us examine, why am I serving in the first place? Ultimately, who am I serving? Am I serving for me? Do you know that many times we can end up serving others for ourselves because of the way it makes us feel about ourselves? This story challenges me to truly serve others for the sake of God. The fifth thing that challenged me as I see this story is that to serve as a neighbor, I need to see, feel, and respond with the compassion of Jesus for others. You know, everybody in this story saw the same need. There was no debate over the need. Everyone saw it. But where two of the men, maybe they felt some kind of pity, we don't know, but they were too busy, too preoccupied, too holy, too righteous, that they didn't allow that to actually drive them to action. This third man sees the need, feels pity or compassion. It's this deep level feeling of, oh, I've got to do something. And then he responds to what he has seen and what he has felt. The challenge here for me is that I would see and feel and respond with the compassion of Jesus for the people who are around me, the people in my life, the people who need a listening ear, who just need someone to talk to them. The sixth thing, which ties it all together in some ways, is that I can really only serve as a neighbor when I understand that it's by loving others that we love God. You know, this connection between loving God and loving your neighbor, what we see lived out in Scripture is that really we can't say we love God and then ignore other people. We can't claim to be holy and righteous and I go to church and I do this and I do that if our life isn't lived in service for others. And what we find is that God's saying, actually, if you want to show your love for me, then love people. If you want to live a life of worship to me, then live a life of service to others. There's lots of scriptures we could pull out. James reminds us that faith, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You can't just say, I love God, and then ignore the needs around you. In 1 John, the chapter before what Jerry, or no, sorry, you said John 4. 1 John 3, we hear this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Do you see the challenge there? Now, we know that it also extends beyond just brothers and sisters as we see the example of Jesus over and over again, as we see this Samaritan. But in this particular uh, letter, what, what, what we're hearing is you can't just go around saying, I, I love God, I'm a holy Christian, I do whatever, and then not live a life of service. I'm really challenged that how I actually serve God is through the service of others. Well, how can we do this? How can we apply this? I want to just close with a couple questions as we consider how this challenges us. The first one is kind of last week. Last week, the first question I had was, do you agree or disagree? That's kind of like this first question. The question is, will we be the neighbors that Jesus has sent? Will we be the neighbors? Not will we walk around trying to figure out who is worthy of our service, who's worthy of our love, but will we adopt this identity? As followers of Jesus, we serve. 
Well, we see that as part of who we are. That just as Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that we'll walk into our workplaces, into our schools, into our families. We'll walk in, down and up the streets of, of this town and all around this valley, wherever we go, that we'll, we'll actually do this and say, you know what, I am not here to be served. Will we do that in our marriages? Will we interact with one another? Say, I am not here to be served. I'm here to serve and to give my life. To lay down my life as Jesus did for me. Will we adopt this? Will we say, we as the Erickson Covenant Church, we as Christians, we are the neighbors that Jesus has sent. And then following that, the questions I have is, who do you see? As I already said, we see needs everywhere. Who do you see? When I consider this question, I realize that actually that's where prayer starts for me. That I need to be willing to pray that God would help me see and feel and respond as he would. I have to pray that because I see things and I just avert my eyes. I even see things and feel things and then do nothing about it. Jesus is calling us to see and feel and respond with his compassion. So who do you see? Who do you see in your neighborhood? Who do you see in your workplace? Who do you see as you go about your daily life? Who do you see? Maybe there's someone that comes to your mind right now. Maybe there's a situation that's been bubbling in the background. Would you pray that God would help you see and feel and respond the way he is calling you to? as the neighbor he sent you to be? Will you pray that prayer? Third question is, what do you have? This one hits home, doesn't it? We hold very tightly to our stuff. Because we earned it. Thank you very much. Jesus asks us, what do you have? What resources do you have? What do you have in your stewardship, if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you have in your stewardship that I'm asking you to make available so that people can discover my love? What do you have? What is in your possession? What are your assets? Do you think you own it? Because if you do, then I challenge you to do some work in that area. But if you're at the place where you can at least sort of mouth the words, it is yours, Jesus, then ask yourself, what do you have that he's asking you to make available to meet the needs of the people around you, the people in this world, people here and people abroad? What do you have? And then the fourth question is, where, where will you serve? Based on what you see, based on what you have, where are you going to serve? Maybe you already know. Maybe the Holy Spirit has already told you this morning, you know, there's someone I've been avoiding. There's a Jericho road I've been skirting past at 60 miles an hour. There's a relationship I've been not wanting to engage in. There's someone who just wants to, just needs a listening ear and I've been avoiding them. I don't know what it is for you. But if the Holy Spirit leads you to see it, I challenge you to step into that. Say, that's where I'm going to serve. That's where I'm going to allow God to use my resources to meet people's needs. There's a lot of different places that could happen. One of them is very practical. We as a church want to grow in our service as a church in this community. Now, I know many of you serve already. You serve in clubs. You serve in organizations. You serve in your schools. You you serve all over the place. I get that. But one of the things that we need to grow is as a corporate community, as the Erickson Covenant Church, serving, consciously serving as the people of God in this valley. Not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because Jesus has called us to serve. There's a lot of ways we do that. The Picker's Lunch, Family Fun Day, throughout our daily weeks, I get all that, and we do that. But one thing I want to highlight is an opportunity we have to serve our community on the Blossom Fest weekend. Blossom Fest is... 75 years old this year. 
It's a, it's a high point in our community. There are many different things going on, fun activities, exciting stuff. But as we know, if you read the I Love Crest, the most recent I Love Creston, or maybe you've just heard around, you know that finding people to serve is a hard deal. It's hard because we're busy. I get it. So here's the question we're asking. Could we as a church serve our community in a really tangible way? Could we say, you know what? We're here to serve. We're not here with an agenda. We're not, we're not here to, to, to get kudos. We're here to serve. And so I want to challenge you today on the Blossom Fest weekend to serve. And how I'd like you to do that is in your bulletins, there's an insert. And on that insert, it says, I'm available on these days for these hours. We will do our best to plug you in. We'll talk to you about some of those things. Some of them might be more challenging than others. Some of them will be a cakewalk. Some of them will be so fun, you'll be wanting to sign up again. It'll be the roll of a dice. You won't know what you're getting. No, I'm just kidding. We'll talk to you about that. But what I'd like you to do is decide, hey, I, I could serve on Friday evening for an hour, or I could serve on Saturday morning for four hours, or I could serve Sunday afternoon for three, whatever. I challenge you today so that we can become a church that serves more intentionally. This can be a concrete way that the Erickson Covenant Church serves. Please fill that out. There are two baskets sitting there right at the edge, uh, right at the end of the coffee table. Drop them in there, and we're going to coordinate uh, as a community so that we can really serve our valley. Serving in the name of Jesus, but serving in critical and important ways. Can you imagine what it would be like if service really became our identity right here in our community? Can you imagine the lives that would be changed because of that? As people experience service from us, they begin to see Jesus' love for them. That is why we serve. Think of the effects that that can have. Think of the changes that that can make in families. Think of the changes that can make in our community. Jesus said, I came to serve. And now he's called us to do the same. You know, right at the back of the start uh, of this story, when, when the man said, love God and love your neighbor, and Jesus said, do this and you will live. In some ways, at the end of this story, the go and do likewise, it's like Jesus looking at us and saying, and by the way, if you'll do this, they will live. If you will serve this way, the wounded will be healed. If you will serve this way, the lost will be found. If you will serve this way in my name, people that have been ignored will actually be included. People that everyone's walking past will find, to their surprise, they wake up in a clean bed. You know, wondering what's happened as love and grace and healing and forgiveness washes over their lives. If we do this, they will live. And that's why we serve. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help us be the neighbors you've sent. We've been challenged in a lot of ways this morning. And Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would help us figure out what it means to be obedient to you to be your servants in this community, to be the neighbors our community needs, and to do that out of the grace we've received from you. We ask that you create in us servant hearts, that as a church, we would grow in our service to you and in our service to our community. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you today. I hope you can stay for coffee time. And uh, keep up the conversation.